right, good morning. Well, we are starting a new teaching series today just called Go. Everybody say Go. go. Oh, that was good, man. Y'all are on it. Um, so we are, we are going to start this series. And uh, we just wrapped up a time of 21 days of prayer together. And, and we were um, going through a teaching series called Re and looking at, at times of revival and refreshing and renewal as we started a new year, and the truth is, all of us need, need God to revive and renew us. Um, if you've been following Jesus a long time, you know there are seasons when you need to be refreshed and renewed and revived. And, and those who have never come to a place of faith, you need to be reconciled to God, redeemed. Um, and, and so that's what we were talking about for the last few weeks and today we're starting this series called Go, and it, and it comes simply uh, from a passage in the scripture in Matthew 28 that is called the Great Commission. This was Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. It was on the screen just a moment ago, but I want to read it to you out of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It, it says this, go, everybody say go. go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, <clears throat> I am with you always to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. That was Jesus' words to his disciples. Then in the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have another statement of Jesus to his disciples. This was after his resurrection, Jesus physically died a literal physical death on the cross, and then he physically and literally rose from the grave three days later, and he appeared to disciples and, and people for about 40 days. And in that time, Jesus spoke to them, and he gave them instructions for what they should do after he leaves. And we have the Great Commission, but then in Acts 1-8, Jesus also says this to his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we take those two statements together, go, make disciples, and then Jesus' statement of you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is Jesus' instructions to each of us as his followers, that we would go and be his witnesses, that we would go and make disciples. As a church, we've kind of taken the, the ideas from both of those passages of Scripture and, and made them into our mission statement that says this, we are people empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our neighborhood and around the world through the gospel and for the glory of God. That's why we exist as a church. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We're not doing this on our own. We have no power in and of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit we receive power to make a difference in our neighborhood right here, 500 South Cimarron Boulevard, 32807, and around the world, we celebrate sending Douglas and Christy Pais to the other side of the world. I just got back from a trip to Nairobi, Kenya, where Hope Church was planted in 2005, and I got to spend time with the team, the pastors at Hope Church, and, and, and we're partnered with them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
We make a difference not on our own, not through our own effort, but through the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for my sin and your sin, and through faith in him, we can be saved. We make a difference through the gospel and for the glory of God. It's not to make a name for ourselves. It is for the glory of God. That's what this series will be about for the next few weeks, God's instructions for us to go. During our re-series, as we looked at revival, we used a definition uh, for revival that came from a pastor named J.I. Packer. And I want to read it again because it kind of ties together where we've been and where we're headed. Here's what this definition of revival says. Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence or from there springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise in heart of repentance, praise, and love with an evangelistic outflow. And that's the part that we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. When God begins to move in our lives, when God begins to revive and restore his people, we are moved by his love. We are moved to repentance of sin and the things that are holding us back from following him, that are hindering our relationship with him. During this 21 days of prayer, I've, I've heard testimonies from some of you about ways that God is working in your life. I heard testimonies uh, of some people in our church who have been getting things right with each other. I praise God for that. When, when God moves, that's what happens. But that's not where it ends. It doesn't end with us just loving each other better and getting along and having a good time, expressing our praise and love for God. It ends with the gospel going. It ends with evangelism. That's a Christian word that means telling the good news. Telling the good news. And as a church, that's what we want to be about. We love to gather together. We love to worship together. We love to hear God's word, but that empowers us and equips us to leave this room and go to the places where we work and the places where we live and the places where we go to school, the places where we drink coffee and buy our groceries and to carry the name of Jesus and to go and tell of all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. And today we're going to spe specifically look at our motivation for going. The message this morning is about our motivation for going, our motivation to go. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 together. So kind of Matthew 28, Acts 1 is kind of the foundation for where we're heading for the next few weeks. But today specifically, we're going to look at Luke 15. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And then we'll get to the second half of the chapter as we continue together. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And it says this. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes, these are the religious folks, were complaining. This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep 
and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Let me pray. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Speak now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this group of parables, there, there are three parables here, three stories. Uh, Jesus tells us about three lost things. First, he tells us about a lost sheep, and then he tells us about a lost coin. And as we'll see in a minute, the, the last story is about a lost son. These are some of the most famous stories in the Bible, especially the last one about the lost son or the prodigal son. But we're learning something about the heart of God in these stories. We're, we're learning something about a God who seeks those who are lost and who rejoices over those who are lost. But I want us to see this morning, before we get into what is being said, to, I want us to see who Jesus is talking to. And so verse 1 tells us that all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. So tax collectors and sinners were, were people who were far from God. Uh, tax collectors were looked down on, especially in uh, Israel and the Jewish culture, because they were, they were people who defrauded and, and, and took money uh, that well above and beyond what, what was expected. Uh, they were traitors because they were usually Jewish people who were working for the Roman occupying army. And man, they were really looked down on as the worst of the worst. And then sinners, uh, that word really means notorious sinners. That, these were the kind of people that everybody knew their story. Everybody knew who these people were. They had, you know, uh, kind of most wanted mug shots in the post office or something. You know, they, these were like the notorious sinners. And it tells us that the tax collectors and the sinners, the worst of the worst, were gathering around Jesus, approaching him to listen to him. Something about Jesus was compelling to them. Something about Jesus drew them in. And it wasn't that Jesus ignored sin or never talked about sin. Jesus was pretty straight up about sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, you heard it was said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, if you even hate somebody, harbor ill feelings against someone, you've committed murder in your heart. I mean, Jesus like doubles down on what sin is. 
he spoke in John chapter 4 to this woman at the well, and they're having this conversation, and Jesus just begins to bring out the laundry list of her sins and, and just put them all out there. But she didn't feel judged by Jesus. She still felt loved, even though he was being honest about the sin in her life. When Jesus approaches people who are in sin, he loves them, he heals them, he draws them to himself, and then he says, go and don't sin anymore. Jesus was always honest and upfront about sin, but he still loved sinners. They, they came to him. So Jesus is speaking to these people who were kind of notorious sinners, but he's also speaking to another group of people. Verse 2 tells us the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining and saying, this man welcomes sinners. Jesus, at the same time, he's talking to those who are known notorious sinners. He's also talking to these religious people who hated the fact that he was hanging out with sinners, that he was spending time with sinners, that he was giving any kind of attention to sinners. And so we see these two groups of people, Jesus is speaking to irreligious sinners, and he's also speaking to religious complainers. He's speaking to irreligious sinners, but he's also speaking to religious complainers. And so he tells these stories to two different audiences who kind of hear each of the stories from their own perspectives. And this morning as we read God's word, maybe you are an irreligious sinner. Or maybe you're a religious complainer. Whoever you are, God has a word for you this morning. So the Bible has the ability to both comfort and to challenge at the same time. There's an old pastor saying, uh, you know, pastors, we feel like it's our job to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Uh, both things at the same time. Like God's word is alive and it's powerful and it's able to comfort you and it's able to challenge and shake up the person who's sitting right next to you. And so Jesus is doing this. He's speaking to both audiences at the same time. And he's telling both audiences something about God the Father. He's telling those who are far from God and he's telling those who think they're really close to God, but they're really just religious complainers. He's telling both of them something about God, and he's telling us something about God this morning. The first thing is this, that God is seeking for sinners who are far from him. God is seeking sinners who are far from him. In this story, Jesus starts out, there's a shepherd, he's got a hundred sheep, one of them's lost. So he leaves the 99 and he goes and searches for the one that is lost. He leaves the 99 and he goes and searches for the one that is lost. It is a priority for this shepherd to find the lost sheep. It's important to him. Then he tells the story about a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one of her coins and she flips the house upside down to find the one lost coin. I have kids, and um, kids are terrible at finding things. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced this as a parent. Um, part of it, I think, is because they never bought anything, right? Like, they've never spent their own money to buy anything. So this Christmas, um, 
we bought our boys some little video games for their, for their Nintendo Switch. And they're tiny. They're like, you know, they're like the size of a quarter. And uh, seven and eight-year-olds are not great at keeping track of quarters or video games, but they're expensive. And so I'm like all over it. Okay, this is where the games go. The, you tell me when you're taking out a game and tell me when you're putting in a new game because we're not going to lose these games because this is a priority. But you know what happens inevitably? They lose the games. And I say, where did you leave it last? I don't know. Did you look? Yeah, I looked. That means they walked into their room and then walked right back out. <laughs> right? Because that's how kids look for things. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a control freak like me, you know what I'm talking about. Because nobody looks for things as good as you look for things <laughs> that are important to you. And that's really the bottom line. Like, kids don't understand the value of things, and so they don't really understand what it means to really look for something, to really put in time and effort. They don't know how much it costs. They don't know how much it means. And so they just look in the room like, eh, I guess you'll just have to get me a new one. No, that's not how this works. In this story, we see a shepherd and we see a woman who leaves everything and and doesn't stop until they find the thing that was lost, the sheep and the coin. She lights a lamp. She turns the house upside down because these things were valuable to them. And Jesus goes on to tell us it's the same in heaven. The Father is seeking and, and heaven rejoices when the lost is found. Because people who are lost, you and me, we are valuable to God. God's not just like, eh, you win some, you lose some. God is seeking. We think we're seeking God, but the truth is he is seeking us. He made the first move. While we were far from him, he sent Jesus Christ. God is seeking for sinners who are far from him. But here's the second thing that we're told about God. God rejoices and celebrates when sinners are found. Those are two different things. You can search for something, and when you find it, you might celebrate, or you might find the game that your kids lost. You say, and you are not getting this back until, because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> I'm going to put it here and, you know, give me... 50 push-ups and then you'll get it back. I don't know, whatever. I don't really make them do push-ups, but. But I do want them to learn a lesson. I don't say, oh, I found it, we found it. Like, come on, let's go play Mario Kart. That's not what I do. But in this story, the, the shepherd found the sheep. And he didn't kick the sheep all the way back to, you dumb sheep, all the way back to the sheep pen. It says he joyfully picked up the sheep and put them on his shoulders. Joyfully. Oh, I'm so happy I found you. And then he got back to town and he threw a party. The woman found the coin and, and she, she celebrated with joy. Called the people and said, I found the coin. Celebrate with me. We serve a God who seeks those who are far from him and celebrates when they're found. What does 
the end of these stories say in, uh, in verse uh, 7, put up uh, Luke 15, 7, it says, In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. That's, look at this statement. More joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. That means God doesn't go, oh, good, my church is full today. That's not what he celebrates. Man, there's not a, there's not a seat left. No, the thing that God celebrates is when those who are far from him come near to him, put their faith in him. That's what God celebrates. Then in verse 10, it tells us again about the coin. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Continually. However long people have been coming to faith, heaven has been celebrating. And however long people continue to come to faith, heaven will continue to celebrate. They don't get tired of it up there. The angels are like, oh, another one? No, I mean, they're about it. We serve a God who seeks those who are far from him. But not only that, he rejoices and he celebrates when they're found. That should mean something to us. That should mean something to me and to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the heart of God. Is it your heart? Then the last story is the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to kind of summarize the first part, then we'll pick up in the middle. So the story goes like this. There was a man and he had two sons. The younger son said to the dad, dad, I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. And the dad gives him the money. Basically what he's saying is, dad, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I, I can't wait for you to die. So just give me my money now. I'm out of here. The dad gives him the money and the son leaves. And he spends up all his money on riotous living. He's wiling out. But eventually, the money runs out. And when the money runs out, the friends run out, and the fun runs out real quick, too. And he's broke, and he's in the gutter. And finally, he finds a job working for a pig farmer. Nobody wants to work at a pig farm, but especially not a good Jewish boy, because not only is that physically unclean, it's, it's religiously, ceremonially, spiritually unclean, and he knows it. Not only that, he's so hungry that he wishes he could eat the pig's food. That's where this young man finds himself. But the story tells us that he comes to his senses. He comes to himself. One day, he says, what am I doing and how did I end up here? I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg him to just let me work for him. I know I can't be his son anymore, but maybe he would hire me as one of the hired workers. And so it says that he went up and went to his father. We're going to pick up here in Luke 15, verse 20. So he, the younger son, got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. I, I love this story because it, it tells us that the father saw him when he was a long way off. That means the father was looking. The father was out there every day just waiting, just looking for his son to turn around. And as soon as he did, the father didn't wait for that boy to get to him. He took off running. And, and this is significant. In the culture of this day, fathers, patriarchs of the family, they didn't run. Like that was undignified. That's what little kids did. Like dads, they don't run. They walk into a room and, they, you know, they just kind of slow walk. Because they are respectable. And you're going to know when they come in the room. Because their presence comes into the room. They don't run around like a punk. But in this story, we see a father. <laughs> they didn't wear pants. They didn't wear shorts. They wore those skirt dress things. And so he had to pull up his little dress and take <laughs> off running to his son. Like, that's the picture. Pull up my pants too high. <laughs> That's the picture. A father who seeks those who are lost and who celebrates when they're found. And he runs to the boy and verse 21 tells us, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your side. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He had this plan for how he was going to work his way back into the family but before he can finish, verse 22, the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Praise God. That's the God we serve. He doesn't hide us and put us in a corner and say, once you get it together, then I'll bring you back out. No, he celebrates. He throws a party. And let me be clear. This son had squandered a good portion of this father's wealth. Like when the dad gave that boy the money, that money was gone. And the boy went and he wasted it all. He didn't come back with money to replenish the family stocks. Like, this father's wealth was diminished because of this son's rebellion. And in the same way, when we come to God, it costs him. It wasn't free. It cost him the life of his one and only son who laid aside the glory of heaven and took on human flesh and died a costly, painful death on the cross so that we could be redeemed and adopted. So the father celebrates. We see a celebration. This isn't just a dumb sheep or an inanimate coin. This is a rebellious son. And still the father celebrates and rejoices. He runs to the son. Jesus is telling us about the father's love for sinners, for people who are far from him. That's all of us, by the way. John Stroop, 
the founder of Freeway Ministries, I've heard him say this, and I love this statement. The gospel is good news for bad people, but it's bad news for good people. And remember, we've got these two audiences in this story. We've got the irreligious sinners, and then we've got the religious complainers. And Jesus is telling this story, and he's talking to both groups of people. So the story continues in verse 28. The father's throwing a party for the younger son. And then the older son, the older brother, he finds out about it. He says, that's not fair. I've been here the whole time. I didn't get a party. Verse 28, it says, then he, that's the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look. He didn't say dad. He said, look, you. I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Jesus is speaking to two audiences. Those tax collectors and sinners, those irreligious sinners. And he's also speaking to those Pharisees and scribes, the religious complainers. There's two brothers in this story and they're both lost. The younger son, he's lost in all the obvious ways. You look at his life and you go, man, he's a train wreck. The older brother, he's lost too. He won't go into the party. The father had to come out to him. He was seeking him too. And he said, what's going on, man? He said, I deserve more from you. You owe me. I've been good. I, I've been slaving for you. The father said, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother, he's back. And that's how the story ends. It doesn't tell us what the older brother did. And in the world around us, there are people who are lost and it's obvious. You look at their life and you go, oh, yeah, they need Jesus. <laughs> and there's other people who you look at them and go, they seem like a pretty good person. They got it together. And they need Jesus too. They won't admit it. They don't know it. They say, I, of course I'm going to heaven. God owes me. I've been doing all kinds of good stuff. I go to church pay my taxes, I'm a respectable member of society. And yet there's no surrender in their life. There's no desire for the father in their life. They, this older son, he was the same as the younger son. He wanted the father's stuff. He wanted the fatted calf for himself. He didn't care about the father. The father pointed that out and he said, we've been together this whole time. He said, I don't care about that. I want the fatted calf. 
You never even gave me a goat. He was lost. And there may be some of you in this room this morning who you come to church, you've been doing all the right things, you've been checking the boxes, and you find yourself frustrated with God because life isn't going the way you thought it was supposed to go. Maybe, maybe you've never surrendered to the Father. Maybe more than you think you've been trying to make it and earn your own way. And maybe Jesus is speaking to you this morning. Maybe you need to finally surrender and come to him. And stop thinking, he owes me, I earned it. So, that's part of what Jesus is telling us. But one more thing and then I'm going to close. I told you the title of the message today was a motivation for going. And so for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved, we are born again, we are children of God. There's something that we can learn from these stories today that should motivate us as we go. The first one is this, Jesus calls us to pursue relationships and repentance. Jesus had a relationship with these sinful people. The religious folks said, why are you friends why do you eat with, why do you spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus pursued relationships with people. But not just to be buddies. He was seeking those who were lost. So he pursued relationships and he pursued repentance. That is, he called people to a decision. He called people to give their lives to him to surrender their lives to him. And maybe you're a Christian and you have relationships with people. And, and you desire that, that you would see them come to faith, but you haven't figured out a way to start that conversation. You haven't figured out a way to say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Hey, do you know what it means to have a relationship with God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're, we're called to pursue relationships and repentance. Doesn't mean you have to beat people over the head. It doesn't mean you have to be unloving. We're called to love. We're called to love enough that we'll have a spiritual conversation with somebody, even if it feels a little awkward for us. Jesus pursued relationships and repentance, and he calls us to do the same. Secondly, Jesus calls us to pursue all kinds of lost people. We got the older brother who's lost and the younger brother who's lost. One is, is socially acceptable and one is not. And Jesus is pursuing them both. And it's easy for us to kind of pursue people who are like us, to, to have conversations with people who are like us, but Jesus is calling us to expand our horizons a little bit, to pursue all kinds of lost people, no matter what they look like, and you're qualified to do it. Well, I can't relate. You don't have to, because <laughs> it's not about you. It's about 
what Jesus has already done. And the last thing is this. Jesus desires that our churches be marked by expectation and joy at seeing the lost found. The heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus Christ was that he was seeking those who were lost and celebrating when they were found. That's what we're called to as followers of Jesus and collectively as a church, we are called to expect to see people come to Christ and to celebrate when they do. That should be the greatest celebration of our gathering together. It's our motivation for going. It mattered to Jesus. It matters to the Father. It should matter to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so here's how we're going to respond this morning. Maybe this morning you find yourself like one of those brothers, either the younger brother who was lost in sin or the older brother who was lost in his goodness but they were both far from the Father. And maybe today God is speaking to you and drawing you to himself, and I invite you to respond. In a minute, we'll stand and we'll sing. And if that's you and you say, I need a relationship with the Father, I'll be down here in the front, and I would love to talk with you and pray with you, tell you how you can know the Father as your Savior. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, our response this morning is, do we have a desire to seek those who are far from God? Does it cause our heart to celebrate and rejoice when people who are far from God come to him? Are we pursuing all kinds of people who are lost? So here's how I want us to respond to that this morning. I want us to begin to pray for specific people in our lives. People who we know are far from God. And I'm going to ask you to stand up in a minute and, and do uh, an activity, an exercise with me, okay? On these tables to my right and to my left, your right and your left, there's some little cards. It says, who are your three? I want you to write down three names. There, there were three stories here, the sheep and the coin and the sun. So who are three people in your life who are far from God that need to know God. Maybe they're far from God in their sin or maybe they're far from God in their perceived goodness, but they're far from God. I want you to write down their names and then I want you to take this card home with you and just start praying for them every day. Then the other thing I want you to do, there's some white kind of foam poster boards over there and I just want you to write down the first names of those three people. Not their first and last name, just the first names of those three people. Because as a church, we want to be praying together for people who are far from God. Because we want to be the kind of place that expects to see the lost found and celebrates when they come to Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to make a way that we can celebrate. I'd love to cross some names off those lists as people respond to God's call to faith. So why don't you stand up with me? You can go all around those tables in just a minute, left and right side. Write three names on the card, take it with you. Write, uh, write just the first name on the big poster boards. 
uh, so we can be praying for that together. If, if God is calling you to faith, if you just want to come and pray this morning, you can do that. There are folks who would love to pray with you. God, thank you that you are a God who pursues people, people who are far from you. So God, I, I pray for those in this room who you are pursuing today, that they would surrender and come to you in faith. Lord, I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we would have that same heart. That we would pray for it, that we would grow in it. Lord, as we begin to pray for our friends and loved ones and neighbors who are far from you, God, that, that you would do a great gospel harvest work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond. Go fill out a card. Come down and pray. Let's respond, and then we'll come back to our seats after that, and we'll wrap up.